at its core merges just about explaining God's purpose for marriage and the foundation for marriage. And I think that that was such a light bulb moment for me. Every week got important to us to do the homework, do the discussions, and I think just going through that together, it just got better and better. The reason we did it was to grow closer in our relationship with God, not only as individuals, but as a couple. You know, Mason had his relationship and I had mine with Jesus and how we prayed and spoke to them. And it was always kind of a separate form of communication for us. And I think going into it, my main goal or our main goal was that I wanted it to be a union of our love for God and that we were on the same page with that, but just how do we form that together? At the beginning of like an engagement and marriage, you feel like everything is just going great and perfect and you, we just learned that that's not always going to be the case so just going through merge kind of even just helped us kind of hey you'll go through some conflicts and I feel like me and Julie have done okay in the past but that just grew that we're okay to talk with each other and talk out. We enjoyed merge and going every in all the discussions and going every Sunday that we asked like hey is there a part two of merge yeah. and everyone told us like the That's senior community. class or something? Yeah, it's our senior level merge <laughs> class and that started with community group. Learning people's heart for Jesus and their heart for Jesus and their relationship and how that might be different from Mason and I or you know the different experiences that we bring to the table was so important to us. I think that, that you know, getting in the car right after the, the class was that was something we always talked about was just, you know, like where we were at in comparison, like what perspective they brought that we would have never been able to get if we didn't come and meet these people. Now that we've learned so much from Merge, like I, you know, can't encourage people enough to sign up for it. It's just a great way to meet some good people, grow closer to God and just grow closer to your partner and just kind of learn about each other and just kind of go through steps of marriage that gets, gets you ready for marriage. All right, Fellowship Bible Church. How we doing? Good? We are very thankful that the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed our lives. Amen? And we are not only just thankful for the change by the gospel, we are now called and prompted to go and share this news with others here in Northwest Arkansas. Amen? Because of our change, we want that for others. Everything that we will talk about this morning, every opportunity, is about us as the body of Christ. Believing in God's plan for everything is better and pointing others to opportunities where the Holy Spirit can work. That's what announcements are. And so I look at what Mason and Julia just shared. I had the cool opportunity to officiate their wedding and to watch them walk through the process of pre-marrieds into now marriage. And it is a cool opportunity to get to do that. But here's what I learned is that it's about pointing to these opportunities so that they get the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do an amazing thing. And so I want you guys, if you know anyone, maybe it's you, that would like to be a part of Merge, I would love to have you. And I would love to have any of your friends, any of your grandkids, any of your sons or daughters to learn the process of dating and relationship all the way through what does it look like to be married and to prep them for that. We have eight weeks premarital counseling experience and it will actually launch this Sunday. So if you would like to sign up or get someone to sign up, please do it this week. We'll shut the registration down at midnight on Wednesday. So please get that moving. Also, Mason and Julia from that video said something that really stood out to me. They said, we're at the end of merge now. It's been eight weeks. It's been a great experience. Now what? What is the answer to a now what? Community groups, right? It's about pointing people to an on-ramp where they can learn about Jesus, 
be changed by the Holy Spirit, and be in community because we all need community. So if you have not signed up for a community group, go to that code, sign up. We will get your information and we will get you put into a group that really just launched. All of our groups just got started. We all need community, so please sign up for a group. We want you to be known at our church. We want large church to be more personal and smaller. That matters to us. So I got a phone call last week from a really good friend of mine, and he said, Simon, the women at our church do an incredible job of doing community. There's small groups in the mornings, at nights, coffee shops, porch retreats coming up. Uh, don't our men need connection? Men, do we need connection? Yes. And so we have some really good opportunities coming up in Rogers and Springdale. We will have a Wednesday morning for Rogers and a Tuesday morning for Springdale at 6.30 a.m. in both locations, Springdale Rogers. And it starts up in two weeks. So please invite people. Let's experience Jesus together and community together. And then we'll also in Bentonville, we'll also have Friday morning opportunities that you can get locked into for community. So we will have opportunities for men because men and women all need Jesus and community. To finalize all of our announcements, I have got to quote the best name in the history of wise sages. Are you ready? This guy's name is C.T. Studd. Find a better name. You can't. He says this, and it's so good. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Mm. We get to experience that this morning as a body of Christ, and we will do that through baptism, an outward symbol of an inward change. I would love to pass it to a father-son combo. Carter, it's all you. Hey, Simon. Hey, fellowship. Good morning. How are y'all? Good, good. My name's Carter Calico, and this is Zaid Calico, and this is our family. So we have my wife, Leslie, Pierce, Ellis and Hendricks. Zaid accepted Christ into his heart about two years ago at Vacation Bible School, and uh, he's been talking about wanting to get baptized, and so we started to talk to Abel about what that meant, and, uh, and then COVID happened. So we spent a lot of time talking about it and a lot of time not coming back, but we're so excited to be here in person. Uh, the church I grew up going to, the pastor always did this. And so when, when I was talking to Abel and, and Danny Sullivan, they said, who do you want to do it? We could have one of the pastors do it. I can do it, or you can do it, me. And I said, that would be an absolute honor. I'm so excited to baptize my son today. Zaid, is it your desire to show all these people that you've accepted Christ into your heart? Yes, it is. Awesome. Can you step down there for me, buddy? All right, put your hand out. It is my honor to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Stand up. <laughs> Would you stand? Let's celebrate together this morning. Sing in faith, we believe. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mount, you see mount. And as I walk through the shadow, your love it up, we believe, we see.
away our sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. So would you lift this up with us as we sing?
more time we see. May I never lose the wonder, oh, the wonder of your mercy. May I sing your hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Lord, we are grateful for your mercy this morning. As we look at your word and we look at Paul's letter, to Timothy. God, we will see your mercy poured out for them and may it remind us of the mercy that has been lavished on us. That we are the children of God. Oh, what love this is displayed through the death and the resurrection of Christ. So God, may we humble ourselves before your word this morning as you teach us to trust and obey. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning. You can open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'd like to be the first to welcome all the Texas fans back to church. It's good to have you back worshiping with us. That's probably not a great way to transition, huh? A little bit of a low blow. Boy, I tell you, winning isn't everything, but it's sure fun. It's sure fun. Hey, last week, Sam Hannon introduced us to the book of 1 Timothy, and he told us it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy, and he introduced us to the book, and this morning, we're going to continue that study in 1 Timothy, and and our study this morning is exactly what the title says. We're going to talk about Paul's story, his conversion story, and he's going to give a charge to Timothy, and Story is something we really value at this church. We love when our community groups take time out and tell each other our our spiritual story, our life story. Uh, Your story is very personal, but here's here's the thing. Your story is also very powerful. It's a very therapeutic thing to sit down and say, okay, who were the people in my life, the major people that that, maybe some of them hurt me, but some of them also helped me? What were the major events in my life that were hard What were the major events in my life that were good? And being able to articulate your story is a really, really good thing. And Paul's going to share his story with us this morning. My story goes like this. I I was raised in a great family right here in Rogers, Arkansas. My biggest struggle in childhood was probably uh, I got diagnosed early on. Back then they called it hyperactive. Um, it was, I was ADD, adult, or I'm sorry, attention deficit disorder. I struggled in school. I struggled to pay attention um, so much so that I think I was the reason. Um, my mom's probably tuning in online, mom. Um, but I was probably the reason she went back and got her counseling degree. Uh, there was a book out a long time ago. I remember sitting around somewhere and it said, I thought it was about me. It said, why Johnny can't sit still. And so, and it affects the way that I've acted as an adult. Sometimes I try to present myself as put together or not hyper or not. I try to present myself as laid back because of that. Uh, we grew up going to church, um, but I never understood the gospel till college. Uh, in college, a guy presented it, and it's probably because I wasn't paying attention, um, but a guy presented it and he said, hey, John, in Romans, it says that because of sin, you are separated from God. But it also says that through Jesus, you can have incredible peace and purpose and eternity with Jesus. And I told him at that time, I said, man, I've gone to church all my life. I've got to be a Christian. And over the next year, I wrestled with it and finally became, accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, became a Christian um, through some help, the help of my, some friends of mine. And, and it changed everything. The Holy Spirit came in. I began to learn. I learned to study the Bible. I learned how to pray. Some of the things I used in prepping this sermon today, I actually learned back then. And then I met this sweet sorority girl named Sherry. And almost as much as coming to Christ, that changed my life. It was, it was awesome. And shortly after college, we got married. Um, uh, we actually, our first home, we moved to Northwest Arkansas. We stayed here, which I never thought I would do. Our first home was on Pleasant Grove Road, just west of the church. Those little duplexes, that was our first home. She got a, a job teaching in Bentonville. I got a job in the business world. And for eight years, we, uh, we just kind of continued on, bought a house, had a couple kids. And then uh, after eight years, the church asked me to come on staff and work with our small groups here at Fellowship. And there's our family. Now we're a family of six. Um, I'm responsible for 24 tires. Can you believe that? We almost have six drivers. 
My car insurance now costs more than my mortgage payment did when we were first married. Um, we're, so we're, we're broke, but we're blessed, and we love it. We're tired, but the Lord has blessed us in incredible ways, and so we're so excited. We're, about, we're launching one out of our family right now, and it's a very exciting but also challenging and, and scary, and, and you'll hear more about that today. So last week, Sam talked about the first part of 1 Timothy, and here's what he introduced us to. Verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Paul says to Timothy, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Paul's saying, Timothy, you stay there, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to deal with the people who are teaching not correct stuff. But then he gives him the goal, but the goal is love. And that's going to be our, our, our pattern for today. Hey, we're going to um, study through the, the book of 1 Timothy all fall. You've probably heard about the journals by now. Um, if you don't have a journal and you want one, just raise your hand. We'll get them to you. You can, pay, you can give them $5 as you leave the service um, out at the booth. Don't try to give them $5 right now. But if you want a journal, just raise your hand. Keep it raised. We'll get the journal to you. If you need a pen, raise your hand. We want you to take notes. If you turn to page 20 in your journal, you can follow along with us today. And I'm going to show you some Bible study techniques this morning. So just keep your hand raised till they bring it to you. In verse 15 of our passage, Paul makes one of the most powerful statements, I think, is in all of the book of 1 Timothy. And here's what he says. Matter of fact, it's so powerful, I actually think it throws some people off as they study this study this passage, but look at verse 15. Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul gives Jesus' purpose statement. Paul tells us that the reason Jesus came was to save sinners like you and like me, and there's somebody here today that you need to hear that. And you heard my story, you're getting ready to hear Paul's story, and you need to realize that Jesus came for you. The reason for the season is salvation, which includes in a sanctifying life here on earth and eternity in glory with Jesus. So let's get into our passage today. Turn to, book, to page 20 in your book. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to begin our study in verse 12, and it starts with this. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Now, first, he gives us that word strength. If you want to underline it in your journal there, you can. But that word strength, oftentimes he's talking about strength for enduring suffering. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about strength towards faith. And we know that because he continues on and he says, He's thanking Christ that he considered me trustworthy. Underline that word, trustworthy. It's going to be really important later. In the ESV, it's, they actually use the word faithful. Write that above it, faithful, and put ESV. That's going to be an important thing to know. So Paul's saying he's thanking Jesus that, that, that he considered him trustworthy or worthy of trust. But what you need to know is his, his worth or his trustworthiness doesn't come from anything he did. That's immediately what we think, isn't it? Oh, Paul is, is just that good that, that Christ has considered him trustworthy. No, no, not at all. His trustworthiness, his worth, is not based on something he's done, but rather what God has done in him. Here's a great quote that captures this well. I'm not really sure who it's from. I think it's originally from Augustine, um, but lots of guys have claimed credit for it. But it says this, God does not choose a person who is worthy. But by the act of choosing them, he makes them worthy. You see, our culture says you've got to do something, and that determines your worth. You, you, you create something, or you contribute something, you own something, and you're worthy, and you show it by your wealth, or your, your position, or your title, or your number of followers, or your good deeds, and the gospel says, no, 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 no. No, your worth is not determined on anything you've done. Your worth is determined on what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Paul captures this well in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, who you are, or your worth 
It's a gift. And it's a gift. It's, it's grace. It's faith. And it's all free. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And this may bust your bubble, but you're not a little bit better than the next guy. Or you're not better than the girl in the office next to you. You're just not. That, that you may know Christ, and the reason you know Christ is because he chose you. We pick up the, the, Paul's story in verse 13. Look what he says. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Underline that. I was shown mercy. You see, Paul's telling us about his past struggles. He's, he says, I'm a blasphemer. I'm a persecutor. I was a, I was a violent man. But God showed me mercy. Now, you may say, okay, I understand what a violent person is, but what's a blasphemer, John? What's a, what's a persecutor? And Paul actually answers that question in the scriptures. Uh, in Acts chapter 26, here's what he says. I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's blasphemy. Anyone who opposes Jesus Christ, not just doesn't believe, but, 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 but physically opposes Jesus Christ, is a blasphemer. And then he goes on and says, and that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. That's persecution. See, Paul, in his previous life, he opposed Christ. He would say he's one of the worst. And then that's blasphemy. Persecution is opposing the people of God and doing bad things to them. We see it in our world today a little bit. Persecution and then he goes on to say, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down. That's violence. If you're hunting down the people of God, you're a violent person. Paul not only resisted Christ, he resented the church. Now, now here's what you need to know. And here's what we need to know. That, that there's a lot of people today that says, man, I love Jesus, but I'm not really into this church thing. And, and I understand that. I understand that the people of God have hurt uh, people. The, the, the church has done some things wrong over time, and I can understand that. But that's not a good statement, and that's not a good way to live as a believer in Christ. Because here's what you need to understand. The church is the bride of Christ. And so if you, if you, if you love Jesus, but you're against the people of God, that's not going to be a good way to live. It, even though the bride maybe has been unattractive at times, maybe the bride has been unfaithful at times, She's still the bride of Christ. It's real hard to have a good relationship with somebody who says, man, I really like the husband, but I hate his wife. You're not gonna be close to him. And it's the same thing with Jesus. You can't love Jesus and hate the bride. You've gotta tune in. You gotta connect. You gotta be a part of it. Hey, a couple more things. Um, you see Paul telling his story here. And his story is powerful. It's, it's a little bit hard to identify with. He has such this drastic change. Um, but, but we all have a story. Even if you don't feel like your story is that exciting, your story is personal. Your story is powerful. And if you allow God to use it, if you're willing to tell it in the workplace or in the neighborhood or to a friend, God will use that. And here's the thing that makes it so strategic is people can say, if you say something about the scriptures, people can say, I don't agree with that. But when you tell your story, they can't say, I don't agree with your story. It's what happened to you. It's so significant. Second thing here, you see Paul remembering his sins or his sinful life, don't you? He's talking about being a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And, and, and as you remember your sins, you need to remember them redemptively. You want to make sure that you don't talk about the good old days, right? back when I could do stuff. You don't want to glorify them, but you also don't want to practice this self-loathing where you're, you just continually beat yourself up over sin. That when you, when you struggle with sin, for the Christian, you confess it, you give it to God, and you let it go. 
and you walk in newness of life. And so you don't want to self-loathe. You don't want to glorify. You want to remember them redemptively and remember what Jesus has done for you and did for you on the cross. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that today. At the end of our service, we've got a long response time. We're going to give you the opportunity to take communion and remember what Jesus did on the cross. Paul says, I was someone who'd opposed Christ. I hurt the church, the bride of Christ. I was a violent man. But then look at the text. I was shown mercy. Underline that. And then I want you to circle the word because there. I want you to circle that. And here's why I want you to circle it. So, and I do this with, with pencil in my Bible because it's, it's not a, a significant enough ver, word to underline or anything like that. But what the because shows you, and when you look at that word, it's always, it's a reason for result of word. It's a cause and effect word. That whenever you see the word, a word because or so that or therefore or in order that, there, there's always this cause effect thing going on. And so here we're gonna see that. Matter of fact, as you make your observations, you'll notice in your book, you've got a little bookmark here, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll see there's some observations you can make, and one of those observations is that cause and effect thing. I think I've got a slide for it um, <clears throat> that shows you how to make those observations, and so what it's like as you're doing this study is you might answer those questions, those who, what, when, where, why questions first, and then you go through and say, okay, I'm going to look for key words, or I'm going to look for repetition. It's like putting on different glasses. You say, okay, I'm going to read the whole passage, and I'm going to look for what words are repeated. And then, then you put on the glass, you say, okay, I'm going to read the whole passage. I'm going to look for these cause and effect words, because, and so that, and therefore. I'm going to read through the passage, I'm going to look for comparison and contrast. And, you, you, and I like to circle those words in pencil, either in the journal or in my scripture. But you look here, Paul says, I was shown mercy, circled, because. So what was the reason he was shown mercy? I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And then I don't really love the way the NIV handles this here because the ESV has a comma there because it's not just that he acted in ignorance and unbelief. It's actually the accident, ignorance and unbelief and the grace of our Lord was, was literally poured out on him abundantly along with faith and love. So Paul says, I was shown mercy because I acted in unbelief and because the grace of God was poured out on me. And as it was poured out abundantly, the gift of, of, of love and of faith flowed. Now we're back to that incredibly uh, powerful verse, that verse 15, where it says this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul said, I'm, I'm the worst of all sinners. You think you're bad? I'm worse. But Jesus came to save you and me, of whom I am the worst. And then he goes on, he says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy. Underline that. Another powerful statement. And then you can circle the so that right next to it. Because he gives us a reason. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of all sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So there's a, another cause and effect there. We see, the, we see the reason there. I was shown mercy so that I might be an example. That, that it might, God might use me in my life to bring others to Christ. And so what's interesting here is back in verse 13, he says, I was shown mercy. And he's saying, because of someone. And now he's saying, I was shown mercy for someone. I was shown mercy because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. I was shown mercy for those who might observe and come to faith in Christ. You see, your story is personal, your story is powerful. And then Paul gets so excited about talking about his story that he literally goes into this, this, what one theologian calls a doxology of divine praise. Verse 17. He gets so excited, he says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? It sounds like he's done. But he literally gets so excited about what God's done in his life, he just, he just starts praising God. And that's what you and I should do. We should be so grateful. But then look at verse 18. He's not done. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command, underline this command, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that, circle that, circle so that, by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. So Paul's given Timothy a command. And he's saying, okay, what's the reason for the command? Well, we see it there. So that you may fight the battle well. Paul's given Timothy a command to fight the battle well. So now you're saying, okay, John, well, what's the command? And it's a little bit hard to see here. But the command is holding on to faith and a good conscience. I bet there is some, there's some trouble with translation, and so it doesn't come out super clear, but, but basically the command is holding on to the faith and having a good conscience. Now, now holding on to the faith simply means that you're continuing to believe the truth. Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, continue to believe what you've always believed. Hold on to the orthodoxy. Then he talks about this idea of a good conscience. It's simply, it's simply having a clear conscience with the Holy Spirit, that you're, you're not under conviction by the Holy Spirit to change something. That you're, there's no unconfessed sin that Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, continue to walk in good conscience, but the main point there is hold on to the faith. Now, you may be saying, okay, John, how did you get to this being the main point of the passage, which I think it is? And there's actually some, even some commentaries I read that said, no, the main point of the passage is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, but it's not. It's not. You know how I know that? Well, look at the, the whole text. If, you, if I put the whole text on the screen and you put on the glasses of, of rep, repetition of, of words, so we're going to look for the repeating words in the text. So if you look at the whole text on the screen and you look at the words that repeated, you see a theme. First, he, he lists trustworthy in verse 12, which is actually faithful in ESV. Then in verse 13, he lists unbelief. So I would underline that. In verse 14, he lists faith. In verse 16, he lists believe. In verse 19, he lists faith twice. You see, there's a theme here. It's a theme about faith. But Paul's saying, Timothy, hold on to the faith. And then he gives some incredible support material that Paul tells his story early on. He says, let me tell you about my faith. Let me tell you what Jesus Christ has done in my life. But the main point is he's saying, Timothy, hold on to the faith. Here's an example of me coming to faith, and he's about to talk about how some have shipwrecked their faith, but he's telling Timothy, hold on to the faith. Matter of fact, the main idea for the text today is to hold firm to the faith that you received by grace. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. That's what we should take home. That I need to hold firm to the faith. And you think about in our world today, it's probably a pretty good challenge, isn't it? There's a lot of things that we can grab a hold of. Man, you could, you could jump into politics. You could jump into all the social issues. There's a lot of hard things going on. But, but Paul's saying through all of that, Timothy, hold on to the faith. We recently moved our oldest daughter, Lexi, to Dallas, and it may not sound like a big deal, but if you're in our stage of life and you're in this stage where you're starting to launch your kids, it's a huge deal. And, and so we, uh, she, she got a job in Dallas, which is really cool, like a professional paying job. This is exciting. And so she's 23 years old, and so we load up everything she has, and I went and got a big trailer. I'm like, okay, I got the big trailer. We're gonna load up everything you have and move to Dallas, and I realized she didn't have anything, so I took the trailer back. And we just put all her stuff in my, back in my truck and in her car, and we drove to Dallas. And we spent two days moving her in, went to Ikea, went to Walmart, and loaded her, her, her fridge full of groceries. And you see Sherry and I, you got to be careful letting your kids take pictures of you because they put them on social media. But that's us celebrating. We're excited. We've run the race. But then all of a sudden, it hit us. This is what we've been doing for 23 years. We've been bringing her to church for 23 years. She spent time in our early childhood and our elementary ministry and, and student ministry. She went to college and she, she continued to study the scriptures. And what I want to tell her more than anything is, hey, 
Hold on to the faith that you've been given by grace. That same faith that you heard from mom and I, that we practice in our home, oftentimes not the best. Oftentimes we had to apologize to each other, but hold on to it. Those times when we, we had you do cell group instead of an activity, that's why. Because that's what continues on. She took a picture, we took a picture as we were leaving, you can see we were celebrating, and then we were crying because it hit us. Like, this is it. it. We're done, or not completely done, but we're, we're pretty done. I mean, we're moving from being coaches to consultants. Like, I'm canceling subscriptions. I'm like, you get your own insurance, girl. You want to stay on our phone plan? Give me 30 bucks a month. I'm starting to, get, I'm starting to see dollar signs. It's really cool. And I know some of you are out there nodding because you're in the same stage as us, but, but this is what it's all about. Hey, hold firm to the faith that you've been given by grace. Let's close the passage out. Verse 19, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Among them are Hamanaeus and Alexander, who, have, who I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So basically, Paul talks about his story. Hey, here's what God's done in my life. Paul, Timothy, hold on to the faith. Don't do what, what Hamanaeus and Alexander have done. Don't shipwreck your faith. And what he's talking about here is they continue to do things that are outside the orthodoxy of the church. They continue to teach things that aren't true. And there's actually a, a way to handle this in the church. It's, it's, it's uh, illustrated in Matthew 18. A lot of times you'll hear it's a Matthew 18 principle. But what you do is you, you go to someone and you say, hey, what you're doing is not good. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's right. And then if they don't respond well, if it doesn't go well, you bring somebody with you. Hey, what you're doing is not good. They agree with me. You probably should stop. And then if it doesn't go well, you actually take it to the church. And that's where we get involved and we can process that. But Paul gives us a framework for that. He says it's all done in love out of a sincere heart. And oftentimes churches don't handle it well. We try to, we try to cover that in love here. And Paul's saying we've done all that and now it's time for us to step away from these two who keep preaching things that aren't true and aren't right. And Paul's saying, I've handed him over Satan. It's not like some agreement he has with Satan. It's literally just him stepping away and saying, I'm leaving you guys to yourself because you, you keep doing what is not right and what is not true. The confrontation heart check is this. The goal is love. The motivation is a pure heart. The other day I was talking to our daughter Lexi. She's kind of in her first week of work and she was on her way home and she was stuck in traffic. She's like, Dad, it's crazy. There's eight lanes going this way, eight lanes going this way. And I'm like, I gotta look her up. So I look it up and find my iPhone. And I'm like, oh, she's right there. Look at, look at those interchanges. If you're familiar with Dallas, that's coming in on 75. It's those, those five levels of interchanges. And I'm like, I gotta screenshot this. This is gonna stress her mom out. And so I screenshot it, send it to her mom. But as she's, as she's navigating life, we're processing with her. You see, we moved from coach to consultant. She sent me a picture the other day of a church she visited. Looks a little different than ours, doesn't it? Not concerned about it. Now, there are some churches I would lay in front of her car before I'd want her to go to. But this isn't one of them. It preached the gospel. That's good. It preached the truth. That's good. We're processing that together. She's excited about becoming a member of a church and, and serving in that church and, and giving in that church. She met with uh, one of the Freedom 5-1 folks recently before she took off down there, got her budget set. She's got money to give. Now she's got to find a local congregation to plug into. Hey, hold on to the faith that you've been given by grace. You can do this. You got it. Hold on. So you might wonder, how do we apply what we've learned today? And the interesting thing is we're going to spend the rest of 1 Timothy applying this text. What Paul's gonna do is he's gonna unpack for Timothy. Hey, Timothy, you wanna know how to hold on to the faith? You do these things. And so we're not gonna unpack them today. I'll give you a little glimpse. Next week's about prayer. In our culture, we don't take prayer serious. It's something we pray to try to get out of a conversation. We say, we say to try to get out of a conversation, didn't it? We don't take it serious. 
But, but Paul's gonna give us some ways to apply holding on to the faith. But here's what we thought of today. Maybe we should just hit the pause button and stop for a moment. One theologian said this, a person's response to the word of God is dependent upon the condition of that person's heart. So I'll ask you the question, how's your heart? Is it, is it hard? Is there something that's gone on that you need to process with God? Is it hard? Is it cluttered? Is there so many things competing for your attention that do you need some time just to sort things out? See, as we continue this fall in our study of 1 Timothy, we need a receptive heart that God will use us and our story to change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas. But before we can do that, we've got to examine right here. Would you take a moment this morning, just the rest of our service, and just examine your heart? Our prayer is this, that God would give us an undivided heart. And a few weeks ago, as I was preparing the music for this service, I was doing my observations in this passage. And one of the repeated words that kept coming to the surface for me is the word mercy. And so what does it mean to hold fast to the faith with a good conscience? I believe it's this that it's to live with our eyes fixed on Jesus and realizing his mercy day to day. Lamentation says that his mercies are new every morning. So when we get up and we see the sunrise, we see that as his mercy for us. And in a world that has its own distractions, whether it be when we look inside and we see our guilt and our shame, and it's sometimes hard for us to accept the grace and the mercy of God. He says, look to me and you will find mercy. Or maybe it's the distractions of the world. Maybe it's hurry or maybe it's anxiety or worry. Maybe it's a struggle with finding worth, not in your identity in Christ, but in the things that you do. As you search your heart this morning, I encourage you to spend time with God before we take communion and confession and independence on him, that you would say, God, I depend on you for everything. To hold fast to the faith is to depend on God, knowing that we can't do it ourselves. So this morning as we sing, the first song that I'm gonna share with you is one that Seth Prim and I wrote a few years ago, talking about this very struggle God, when we find ourselves at the end of ourselves and we turn our eyes to you, what do we see? We see mercy. And so we are going to give our attention to God. We're gonna focus on him and he's gonna sustain us. So we encourage you to worship with us as we sing.
stand with us, make this our prayer this morning, fix our eyes on him.
And this is our prayer for this morning. John 15, four through five. These are Jesus' words in his teaching to us. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. As we sing this last song together and prepare our hearts for communion, may the cry of our hearts be that we depend on the Lord our God for everything.
your communion elements ready. When you get them ready, you hold the wafer in one hand and the cup in the other. We have the opportunity this morning to remember. We have the opportunity to say a prayer of dependence on the Lord. We ask, how do we hold fast to our faith with a good conscience? It's to remember what the Lord has done for us, his provision, and to declare that daily. So would you sing this with us? I depend on you. I depend on I depend on I depend Remind your soul I poured out for the forgiveness of sins that has washed us white as snow. Drink in remembrance. If you would like prayer this morning, our prayer room is open and we'd love to pray with you or for you. As we leave this place, I want this scripture to be on our lips. This declaration, this doxology of Paul. Would you read this aloud with me? Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us, fellowship. Go in peace this week.